The title of what I'm sharing with you is the book of First Peter. Part seven is what we are dealing with today, and then there will still be two more parts to come, and then we'll be done with First Peter. So today we're starting on chapter four. Everyone say chapter four. Peter is writing to the believers in Asia Minor, as we know, and let's jump straight in to our passage today, 1 Peter 4, verse 1 to 11. I'm reading from the New King James Version. It says, therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh, in other words, in his days on earth, for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles, in other words, the, the heathen, Gentile, unsaved world, when we walked in lewdness, Lusts, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. In other words, they can't understand why you don't want to, after you're thoroughly born again, get into all the, the stuff that they're doing in their lives, which is unclean, and then they start to speak evil of you. Verse five, they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. Verse seven, but the end of all things is at hand. Do you hear that? The end of all things is at hand, hallelujah. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. One of the reasons why it's said here is because of the persecution that was beginning to rise at that time. Oftentimes, you might have a believer from a nearby little village or city, and they have to come to you just to get away from the pressure and the persecution, and then let them come into your home, share your home, be hospitable, etc. Verse 10, it says, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with, uh, as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever, amen. Can I get an amen on that? Wow, I like that sort of phrase, the glory and the dominion forever and ever, amen. So please keep your Bible open as we are reading together because we will come back to several of these passages. So as I look at this, for me, there are four key issues that stand out. There's more than four but there are four key issues that I think we will benefit from hearing today. Are you ready for point number one? Here we go. 
live with a deep desire to do the will of God. Think about that for a moment. Live with a deep desire to do the will of God. Please say that with me. Live with a deep desire to do the will of God. You see, before we are saved, we can only think about our own desires, our own selfish desires. But once we are born again, things begin to change and we become concerned with doing the will of God. It's something that God starts to do in our lives and next thing it becomes more important to to do God's will. Now look at verse one and two. It says, therefore, I'm actually reading this in the NIV, verse one and two. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. That's a very interesting statement. Whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. So we see this emphasis here of having almost died to sin because of our positional death with Jesus Christ. And then out of that, there is a desire that begins to rise in our hearts. We're not wanting to do our own stuff. We're wanting to do the will of God. And we become consumed with what brings pleasure to God. So, as believers, we are essentially faced with two possibilities. The possibility, even after we saved, of going into sinfulness. Or the other possibility is godliness. Sinfulness and godliness. Now, obviously, we need to choose godliness but realize that when we choose godliness, that together with that, we will also have to bear the reproach of Christ. That's what the Bible says. Because the Christ life, I need to tell you, it does include suffering with Jesus Christ. There is a thing known as the prosperity gospel, which speaks about the fact that everything's always gonna go well and you're just gonna always get that promotion and, and just, you know. And while I firmly believe that God does wanna bless his people, and according to Psalm 1, it says that the, the man or woman that honors God, that they will be blessed and whatever they do will prosper. But I wanna tell you that there is a part of following God where we bear the reproach of Christ and where we suffer because we're standing for righteousness. If I was not to include this, you would be getting an unbalanced message. Do you know that the apostles understood this thing of suffering for Christ? Because it says that, Paul says that I may experience the fellowship of his sufferings. That's according to Philippians 3 verse 10. And so I know that this is not popular, but I'm not here to try to be a popular preacher. I just want to be faithful to God so that one day I can trust and hope that I will hear these words, well done, good and faithful servant. You didn't tickle people's ears. You spoke the counsel of God. Now, listen to what one theologian says. He says, listen carefully, just as Christ's sufferings led to death and resurrection, so our suffering can help us stop sinning and enter more fully into the new life of service to Christ. 
Christ's sufferings made him victorious over Satan. The believer's sufferings can strengthen their faith and solidify their obedient lifestyle. And so part of becoming more like Jesus is that we suffer for Christ. And I want to say, let us be the people that we choose godliness, even if it means that at times we will suffer. It's getting a bit quiet in this church today, but can I get an amen? Awesome. Point number two, don't chase after immoral things. It's time to be done with that lifestyle for good. Now, come on, let this talk to you. And those people listening to me online, let this speak to you. Don't chase after immoral things. It's time to be done with that lifestyle for good. Now, look in verse three to four of your passage. Your Bible should still be open. It says, for we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles. That refers to the will of the heathen people, the unsaved, etc. When we walked in lewdness, lusts, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. And so sometimes as you now are finished with that lifestyle and you don't wanna hang with those friends anymore that wanna do unclean things, they think you're nuts. Why don't you just wanna throw yourself into this anymore? You see, let me tell you, when you get saved, God doesn't take away your fun. He just changes the things that you get excited about. And you no longer get excited about things which are unwholesome. You begin to get excited about things which are clean and wholesome. And as a result, your friends start to criticize you for it. But you know what? When the chips are down, when they're going through a struggle, they will phone you and say, please pray for me. I'm facing this. Because they see the real work of God in your life. Now, when somebody is born again, in other words, is converted, their lives should change dramatically. If their lives do not change, I question whether there was true conversion. Did they really come to Christ? Because when you do come to Christ, things change drastically in your life. And this is because we are made dead to sin and we are made alive to God. It's a supernatural thing that God does. And the power of God begins to work in our lives and brings about the change in an ever-increasing way. And so thereafter, however, the enemy will probably try to get you back into your old lifestyle. He'll try to come and tempt you. He'll tempt you to backslide, to hang and do things that you did before. But I wanna say, don't go back, child of God. Don't go back. Because it's time to be done with that lifestyle for good. Because you are better than that. Don't go back. And so here, Peter, he's urging the believers who have come to Christ saying, leave those corrupt things behind. You wanna know what the Bible says in 1 Peter? Well, this is what Peter's saying. Leave those things behind. Do not be drawn back into those things. Now, Peter lists, lists a bunch of unclean activities that do not please God. There are six of them. Lewdness, lusts, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, idolatry. Uh, those are the six things that he mentions here. But you know this, the devil has nothing new to offer. Think about that. 
What is it? It's sexual immorality, it's drunkenness, and it's drugs. What more can he offer? That's what it is. Drunkenness, sexual immorality, drugs. It's always the same thing, the same thing. And yet people wanna go back to all of that stuff, that promiscuous lifestyle and so on. The devil has nothing new to offer. And I wanna tell you that those things have no place in the believer's life. No place. Purpose in your heart. Those things will have no place in my life. I'd like to highlight two of the things that Peter lists from this, uh, uh, these six different things. And these are the two things, namely drunkenness and drinking parties. Drunkenness and drinking parties. It was a problem way back many years ago, 2,000 years ago, and it is still a problem in society today. Now, I wanna just say, can we just be real for a moment? Come on. In terms of drinking parties, can we just be real for a moment that this is not God's will for us? Come on. It is not God's will for us. It is not something that we should be giving ourselves to and realize that we must stop excusing what is unrighteous and we must not be compromising anymore. Because the Bible is telling me in this scripture that God is ready to judge these things. So it's not okay, it's not cool. God is ready to judge these things. Let us not compromise anymore. Now listen, don't tell me that you need Puza Thursday. Come on, I hear some laughter which is revealing some things here. Don't tell me that you need Puza Thursday and you need it to get through your week and, and you need it to get through life and so on. What is Puzza Thursday? Well, it's basically binge drinking on a Thursday night. I wanna tell you, that is not gonna improve your life, that will damage your life. The Urban Dictionary even defines Puzza Thursday. What is Puzza, by the way? I think it's the Zulu word for drink. So, Puzza Thursday, listen to this, has become an escalating trend among young people in South Africa where Thursday night is known for heavy drinking. And I'm thinking, this is not good. This is not gonna help people in South Africa. This is not gonna help our young people. And believers in Jesus, young believers, you need to set an example in this regard. You need to. Put your hands together, come on. Now you might say, well John, what is wrong with drunkenness and getting a bit tipsy and so on? Well I wanna tell you, here is the problem with it. It lowers your God, G-U-A-R-D. It lowers your God, put more detailed, it weakens your willpower and reduces your ability to resist temptation. And that's the problem. Next thing you find, you're getting drunk and you end up in a hotel room and you're busy throwing your life away. You don't even know the person's name and you are messing around. And it all started with drunkenness because you lowered your God. Do you know that there is a close link between drunkenness and immorality? So that's the problem with drunkenness. It lowers your God. It causes you to compromise. Listen to the statement. If you stay sober, you are more likely to stay pure because you're thinking straight. <laughs> 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 says to us as believers, it says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. 
Behold, old things have passed away and all things have become new. When you come to Christ, those old things pass away. But you've not got to allow them to draw you back. They've passed away. And in all of this, we need to realize that it is about transformed living. If you come to Jesus Christ and don't change, then something's wrong. Because Jesus changes lives. I want to tell you, he takes you from the gutter to the glory of God, the guttermost to the uttermost. That is what God does. And he's still doing it today. He's still taking to people who are in serious muck in their lives and they come and they surrender to Christ. He turns their lives around and he says, you're a new creation. All things have passed away. I wanna make it clear that a blood-washed child of God does not belong in the clubs of our city. Come on. You do not belong there. You were redeemed from that lifestyle, child of God. Come on, young person. Live a life worthy of the calling which you have received, the Bible says. And I'm even calling on young people here today, older people as well, it's not just young people, but I'm calling upon you to repent from lifestyles like that. Repent of worldly lifestyles because the old things have passed away, amen? Now, point number three. Realize that the end of all things is at hand. That should make you excited. Please say this out aloud with me. Realize that the end of all things is at hand. Verse seven says, in your Bible, are you looking? It says there, but the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. The New Living Translation puts it as follows. It says, the end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Now, can I ask you, what is the the next big event that we are waiting for to take place in the world? It is the rapture of the church of Jesus Christ so that we can go be with Him. And not enough people talk about this. Not enough churches talk about this. But I wanna tell you that Jesus is coming again. Come on, put your hands together. Our God is coming again. He said, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. I love it. Absolutely love it. And so Peter was aware that Jesus could return at any time. That's why he wrote, realized that the end of all things is at hand. He knew this, he understood this, and also he lived with a sense of watchfulness, like those wise virgins. In the same way, you and I need to remember that Jesus could come at any time. And I say, hallelujah, and I say, are you ready for Jesus to come? Are you ready for him to return? If Christ is within you and you have the spiritual life of Christ, then you are ready. You don't need to doubt it at all. You know, when we think about what's happening in Eastern Europe and the potential escalation that could happen in that regional area, I wanna tell you, it is scary stuff, but it should make us realize that the end of all things is at hand. You know, for so many years in that whole broader European area, since World War II, generally speaking, there has been peace. But now that has changed. 
Do you realize that four weeks ago in Ukraine, there was peace? But that was four weeks ago. There was peace. There was no war. Now there is serious war. And now, what does that tell you? It tells us that the time is short, folks. Do you believe it? I pray that the Spirit of God would stir it in your heart, that the time is short. And it says in verse 5 that the Lord is ready to judge. Would you please say, ready to judge? So God doesn't need to prepare anything. Everything is all set. He's ready to judge. And this is yet another indication that the end of the world is coming soon because God is ready to judge. I wanna point out to you, 1 John 2 verse 18. You don't have to turn there if you're making notes, just jot it down. 1 John 2 verse 18 says, little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming even now. Many Antichrists have come by which we know that it is the last hour. And if it was then, how much more now? Another scripture, Romans 13. Are you still with me? Romans 13, verse 11 to 12 says, It is high time to awake out of sleep. For our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, what do we do? Let us cast off the works of darkness, which we were talking about earlier, and let us put on the armor of light. You see, when we realize the shortness of time, it should spur us on to be serious about God. It should spur us on to be watchful. It should spur us on to be praying. And may I ask you a question today? I wanna ask you, child of God, are you serious about praying? I trust in your heart that you are. This is how we will be able to survive in the end times, by being connected to God in prayer. Do you realize that prayer is your lifeline to the throne of God? And a well-established prayer life means that you live in greater victory because you're constantly drawing on the strength that comes from God. And so I wanna say to you, don't be satisfied with just praying over your food at lunchtime. <laughs> don't be satisfied with just two minutes of prayer in the evening. Don't be satisfied with that. Rather be hungry for ongoing communication, ongoing communion with God, direct communication with God. And by the way, Prayer is simple, don't make it complicated. It is simply communicating with God. You talk to God, you spend time with Him, you pray, and you know what? That is an absolute lifeline to you. Listen to this statement. A lack of prayer will render us unprepared for the end times. Now, I'd like to just touch on verse eight. Would you look at verse eight in your Bible? Still under point three, I just wanna touch on verse eight. It says, have fervent love for one another. And then this phrase, for love will cover a multitude of sins. I must confess, I've often read that and not really understood what that means. Have you ever read that and wondered, what does that mean? Love covers a multitude of sins. Well, it does not mean that we, could, that we can excuse sin and cover it up. Definitely not. Because the Bible says from Ephesians 5 verse 11 that we should expose the works of darkness. So it doesn't mean that you cover things up. But love covering a multitude of sins does mean 
that true love is able to overlook the minor faults that you see in people. You know, like that they forgot to say thank you or they were a little bit grumpy or, you know, that kind of thing. You are able to overlook the minor faults in people and furthermore, true love is able to then forgive the serious shortcomings when there is repentance from that person because Christ also forgave us. And so that's what it means to uh, have love covering a multitude of sins. Now, point number four, use your gift to minister to God's people. Say this aloud with me. Use your gift to minister with God's people. This is actually a lovely point. Look at verse 10 and verse 11. It says, as each one has received a gift. Everybody say a gift. Say it louder. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as with the oracles of God. In other words, you don't just get up there and talk nonsense. You get up and talk from the word and from having sensed what God is laying on your heart and you speak and that's the oracles of God effectively. The last part says, if anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies. So the first thing I notice is if you look at verse 10, it indicates that each one has received a gift. Would you say each one? This tells me that God gives special gifts and abilities to every single person. That's you. Don't leave yourself out of this. Amen. Everyone has been given gifts from the Lord. And so we should not say, I don't have anything to offer. We should not say, we don't have any value. We should not say other people are gifted, but I'm not gifted. No, don't do that. Come into agreement with God and with his word and declare, God has given me a gift. Say that with me. God And again, God has given me a gift. We come into agreement with God's word and then we realize my life can make a difference. I have got something to add to the body of Christ. Now, you may have one gift, you may have two gifts, you may have several gifts. In simple, what is a gift? It's a talent or ability that is empowered by the Holy Spirit to minister and serve God's people. And these gifts are very important because they help to build up the body of Christ and spread the gospel. You see, God knew that in order for the body of Christ, like a local congregation like this, to flourish, he knew that he had to give gifts to everybody, and then those gifts get used, and the body starts amping, man. It starts amping because people are loving and caring and ministering and singing and doing all sorts of things, and the body is thriving because of the gifts of God. And sometimes when a body's not thriving, it's because nobody's using their gifts or only 30 people, 30% of the people are using their gifts. And so God knows that the gifts are needed for the body to flourish. Well, you say, what are some of these gifts? He has a quick few of them. The gift of hospitality, gift of music, gift of speaking, gift of leadership, gift of administration, gift of activation. That person, they just want to get things going. 
They can't sit around and wait. They want to get things going in the body of Christ. Other gifts, gift of serving, gift of mercy, gift of faith, gift of encouragement. And there are so many wonderful gifts that God has given. And so many of you are already using your gifts. And I say, well done to you. We celebrate that. Now, verse 10 instructs us, stick with me just for this last few moments. I'm coming in for a touchdown. Verse 10 instructs us to minister it to one another. What is it? It is the gift. So Peter is saying, minister it to one another, minister your gift to one another. This means that it is an instruction that comes from the Word of God. And in other words, folks, don't hide your gift. Come on. Don't hide your gift, but use it for the purposes of God. I fear that too many people are hiding their gift. They think that their gift is not good enough. No, that's a lie from the devil. If God's given it to you, it is good enough. And so use it to serve and build up the body of Christ. And then another thing I want to mention here is in verse 11, it says, use your gift with the ability that God supplies. So there's the gift and then there's with the ability that God supplies. I find this interesting. You know why I find this interesting? Because it tells me that if I'm going to serve in my strength, with my gift in my strength, I'm going to get weary. I'm going to get tired. But if I serve with God's strength, I will be able to go the distance. And you know what? That's why some of our life groups just keep on growing, our life group leaders, just keep on going, going, year in, year out, year in, year out, because they are not relying on their own strength, but they are relying on God's ability. And I think of Suzette, one of our life group leaders. I mean, she's been leading her life group like forever. And there's a reason, because I see in the way she does it, she's not dependent on her own strength. She's allowing God's ability to come through her. And that's why so many people go to her life group. They just love it. They sense that God is at work. Can we just give a Suzette a hand for the way she serves God, serves God's people? And I wanna tell you, child of God, when you discover your part that you have to play in the body of Christ, it is extremely exciting. And when you discover that you can serve, that is when your gift gets activated. And so I believe and declare that God is gonna activate gifts, all the diversity of gifts in this body so that this body can thrive and flourish in a greater way. And the other thing is that whenever you use your gift, you know what? God is glorified. I just want to recap on what I've shared this morning. Point number one, live with a deep desire to do the will of God. Number two, don't chase after immoral things. It's time to be done with that lifestyle for good. Number three, realize that the end of all things is at hand. And number four, use your gift to minister to God's people. Have you received the word of the Lord this morning? Go ahead and give God a hand of praise. Amen.